Have you ever been, I'm sure many of you have, to a foreign country and it's this disorienting kind of effect when you get there. I remember a few years ago I was teaching at a seminary in Korea for a week or two and I took my two kids with me just for fun and uh, we got there and it was like right in the middle of the some kind of a flu, the bird flu or something like that. And so as soon as we get off the plane, they're like taking our temperature in our ear and, and they're telling us things in Korean and we have no idea what they're saying to us. Uh, they were making people move their hair back and it, not me, I mean, but like my daughter, she had to move her hair back so they could get, you know, put the thing in her ear. And it was, it was disorienting to just realize that you're in a country where everybody speaks differently than you do and looks a little bit differently than you do. And they know just by looking at you that you're not from around there. And culture is different. If you've, if you've never ridden a, a subway in Korea, it is an incredible experience. Like they have during rush hour, they have these people whose job it is to push you onto the subway. So I literally, I'm not kidding you, there's, there's a guy who's, he's the pusher, and he just pushes people, so you're jammed in there, whether you like it or not, and I didn't like it. But it reminded me, that experience, of how wonderful it was when I finally got back home, and just, just the fact that I could understand what everyone was talking about at McDonald's or in the airport or wherever it was. And we, all of us hate that feeling of not being able to be understood or not being able to understand anyone else. And it comes from this passage that we will read today in Genesis chapter 11. It's an unusual passage, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an important one. You realize, of course, that the whole history of, of humankind takes place in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Genesis is the book of beginnings, and it's only the first 11 chapters that talk about the beginnings of mankind. After that, we move narrow into Abraham and, and later into Joseph, the life of Joseph. But here in this 11th chapter, we learn about what happened, why it is that mankind has been spread out, and why it is that mankind has been, speaks different languages. So if you have your text with you, or you can see it up here on the screen, we'll look at Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. It's probably a story that you've, you're familiar with if you've been to church very long, but you, you might have never thought about what kind of what are we supposed to learn from this story of this tower that's there? So in Genesis chapter 11 and verse 1, the whole earth had one language, the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said... Let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had made. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come. 
Let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord dispersed them from there over the fa- all the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. And therefore its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over all the face of the earth. Now, you might have noticed if you've been reading through Genesis right along that in chapter 10, people are moved off into a variety of places because they speak a different language. And then in chapter 11, all of a sudden people speak the same language. The reason is that the chapter 11 is explaining to us what happened in chapter 10, why it is that there are a bunch of people there now speaking different languages. Chapter 11 is the cause of what we see happening, the spreading out in chapter 10. This is a passage that is filled with irony and sarcasm. It might surprise some of you to hear that there is sarcasm in the Bible, but there's a good deal of it. If you have the right background and are looking for it, there are some very sarcastic passages, both by God and by God's people in the, in the passages. This is a sarcastic passage on the part of God, showing that when man tries to do something incredibly important, how it really turns out. There are three simple things that I want us to look at this morning that we'll see from this passage, and hopefully that we'll be able to take home with us and that will say something that's significant for us. The first thing that we see is the sin. You notice that God had said to these people, spread out over the whole earth and go and make the earth yours. And yet they had decided here at the beginning of chapter 11 to settle on one particular plane. And in settling on that one particular plane, they had decided that they were going to build this tower and make a name for themselves. You see that in verse 4, let us make a name for ourselves. It's the same kind of desire that people have even today. There are people in the world around us who go through life trying to make a name for themselves. Well, that was exactly what the people in this city on this plane, they were trying to do. They were trying to make a name for themselves. And many ancient people thought that God either lived at the top of a mountain or that he lived in the sky and he would come down on certain very tall buildings that they built. And so this is a it's a, it's what archaeologists call a ziggurat. It's a steps that go up, and it was a very, very tall building, apparently. And then, usually, at the top of those buildings, they would paint the room where God was supposed to come down blue, the color of the sky. Uh, their theory was God lived up on the mountain or in the sky. That must be his favorite color, so we'll paint his room so he feels nice when he gets there, I guess. And they made this gigantic tower of Babel in total sin as to what God had told them to do. And the, the problem is, and it's a problem that comes into all of our lives, the problem is they are seeking to make God like themselves rather than seeking to make themselves like God. It's a very dangerous thing that we face. If we're not especially careful, we will go through our lives saying, I'm going to cobble out a God and make him look like me. Calvin said, we are all, all of us, little idol factories. That is, that's what we do. 
We build gods. If you've ever been to, well, in, in two places. There's a Parthenon, of course, in Athens, Greece. And if you stay at the hotel downtown Athens, you can look out at the Parthenon. If you pay a few dollars extra, your room will look out at the Parthenon. But there's also a Parthenon in Nashville, Tennessee, which is a lot in better shape because it was only built about 100 years ago. And there, if you go to the Parthenon, it's in a, in a big park, downtown Nashville, Tennessee. You go in, and it's this gigantic statue of Athena, who was one of the gods, goddesses of the Greek. And there are these two giant snakes that are there sort of uh, guarding her. And you realize that this, this person is not the god, the god of the Bible. And that what has happened is that somehow... They have made a God like themselves rather than letting God tell them who he is. That's what the sin, that's the sin that they've committed. But the second thing that we should notice is not just the sin, but, and this is where you'll see some sarcasm, the sighting. You'll notice in verse 5, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. And so you think about this, they're building this highest tower in the world so that they can build their way up to God. And God can't even see it. He has to come down to see it. So there's that, that sarcasm there of all the things that you can build and of all the things that you can do for yourself. And of as high as you can get, you will never, ever be close to God unless he comes down to you. You'll never build your own way up to him. And that is the difference, really, between Christianity and all other religions. On one level or another, all other religions say, try, try, try as hard as you can. Build the, the, the tower higher. Build more. Work harder. Try, try, try. And Christianity says, trust. It says, the only hope that we have is if God comes down and becomes a part of us because we cannot ever get our way up there to them. God sees this, that they are not doing what he has told them to do. They are doing what he told them not to. They're staying on this plane when he told them to spread out. And it's a, a, a very great sin that they're committing. They're directly and absolutely going against exactly what God has told them to do. And that's their sin. And it's not just their sin, really. God is coming down and looking at all of us, and he sees us all as having fallen short. That all the work that we have done to try to make ourselves closer to God, it's not enough. That as high as we try to build our towers, it's not enough. That as many times as we try to just build one more level on, or we try just a little bit harder, or we try just a little bit more, at the end of the day, it's, it's not enough. It's just not enough. And so God comes down. He sees them there. The text very clearly says that he sees them. And he says, we got to put a stop to this. This is... We're not going to have this. And so God punishes them. You would think that as short as this was, after the flood, they would have remembered, you know, it was generations, but it was not an incredibly long time. They would have remembered that God does indeed punish people who don't do what he tells them to do. 
But they had apparently forgotten that. And that's where you see the third thing in this passage of Scripture. The first place you see the sin, the second place you see the sighting. God comes down and look at them. And now thirdly, you see the spurning. God separates His children. If you were in, you know, and all of us were in grade school, you remember the teacher saying to you, if you two don't cut it out, I'm going to separate you. I, I remember it anyway, a lot. And that's in essence, on a much, on a very basic level, what God is saying to all of these. He's saying, you're not doing what I've told you to do. And as a result of that, I'm going to have to separate you. And so he separates them in a variety of ways. He separates them, though, most, all, most, most, uh, most Im, Im, importantly, by changing all of their languages. The Hebrew text uses a sort of a metaphor for this. It says, up until that time, everyone was of one lip. That is, they all spoke the same language, they had the same vocabulary. But after this, they, they had a difference in lip and a difference in vocabulary. And so you can imagine waking up one day and in another part of the place where you live, everyone is speaking some kind of a language that you can't understand. And this leads to great differences among the people. And these great differences among the people that began here in Genesis 11 continue to go along day after day after day. And these differences among the people create hideous wars. They create riots. They create all kinds of horrible, horrible things. My uh, son Josiah bought me a book for Christmas called The Burning. It was about a period of history I didn't know much about. In uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1921, there was an area of the city, Greenwood, an area of Tulsa, called the what they then called the Colored Wall Street. It would be called today the African-American Wall Street. But it was this area where in the 1920s, the uh, the, the African-American people had done so well that they had their own banks. They had their own movie theaters because it was still in the days of Jim Crow. They couldn't go to the white people's banks or to the white people's movie theaters. And they had all these things that were built up. And one day, over a misunderstanding that I won't bother you with, a huge fight broke out between a group of white people and a group of black people. And eventually... About a day and a half, two days later, this is in 1921, all of Greenwood, all of that wall, Black Wall Street was burned down to the ground, never to be rebuilt again. And it was so painful for me to read sections of that book. I had to set it aside. These stories of little children being shot down in the street, stories of people's houses being burned down to the ground while they watched. That's the kind of difference that happens as a result of not doing what God tells us we should do. That's the kind of difference that happens when we ignore the very specific claims that God has for us. And here he has claimed, he has told these people, go out and do what you're supposed to do. And they stopped and they said, we'll just do, we'll do it our own way. We will build a name for ourselves and today I can, I can tell you that there are two ways that you can go through life. 
You can either decide that you will build a name for yourself and you will try and try and try as hard as you can, or you can decide that you will let God give you his name. The interesting thing about this passage, the disruption of the languages, is that there's virtually a turnaround of it in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. Here, all the people speak in one language, and God comes down, curses them, they all have to speak different language. In Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, there are thousands of different people there who speak all different language, and yet they hear everything in their own language. And so the gospel goes out to them regardless of what language they, they spoke or heard. It's an amazing turnaround. It's as if the, the Tower of Babel has been brought down to the ground and God stands there on it and says, you must do what I have asked you to do. Acts 2, you remember, is that sermon about the fact that Jesus Christ was indeed the Messiah. And it's at that point that those people who listen to that sermon are forced to say, either this man Peter who is preaching to us is right and Jesus really is the Messiah, or he's not and we've got to go and figure it all out on our own. Today, I bring you the same message that Peter brought, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and that he is the one that makes all people one, who quells all wars, who stops all racism. He is the one who makes everything what it should be. And so you can go on building up yourself in your own name, like these people who were building up the tower to make a name for themselves, or you can take God's name. There's a wonderful preacher named Fred Craddock. He's not with us anymore, but he was a, a wonderful preacher. He tells of a time once being in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, eating with his wife. And he saw a man, a very tall man, walking around, visiting with people there at the tables. And he said, oh, I hope he leaves us alone. Just, I just want to be left alone. But he walks up to them and he says, hello, my name's Ben Hooper. Who are you? And he said, well, I'm Dr. Craddock. I teach homiletics at a school in Atlanta. And Ben Hooper said, oh, you teach preachers. Yeah. I've got a story about a preacher you need to hear. And Fred Craddock said, oh, this is awful. Everybody's got a story about a preacher. And the vast majority of them crawled out of Noah's Ark on crutches. I just don't need to hear another one of those. But Hooper said, when I was a boy, I grew up not far from here, on the mountains over on the other side of Tennessee. And when I was born, and as I got to be a little boy, I didn't know who my father was. And he said, when I went to school, all of the children began to make fun of me, and they called me names that hurt me so deeply that whenever I could, I used to go off and be by myself just so they wouldn't call me that anymore. And he said, I just wanted to be by myself. I just wanted to be left alone. I knew that people in the town were looking at me trying to figure out who my father was by my looks. I knew that people in town were saying things about me, even if they said them behind my back. And he said, one day I went to church and there was a new preacher there. And usually he said, when I went to church, what would happen is at the closing prayer, I would sit in the back. I would rush out so that I could get out before anyone else. I didn't want anybody asking me any questions or saying anything about me. 
He said, but that day, somehow, I became enraptured in what the man was saying, and he prayed, and I didn't run out in time. And he was greeting people at the back of the church, and I knew that I had to walk by him. And this man, Ben Hooper, says to Dr. Craddock, as I'm walking by, this new preacher puts his hand on my shoulder when I was a little boy, and he said to me, whose boy are you? And he said, you could literally hear all of the people around me quiet down to see what I was going to say. And they waited. And then he said, the preacher said, oh, I know, you're God's boy. The resemblance is remarkable. Now go out and claim your inheritance. And it was then that Dr. Craddock remembered that this name Ben Hooper was the first illegitimate child elected governor of Tennessee. And Ben Hooper said to him that day, he said, you know, nobody has said anything more important to me in my entire life than that man did. You're God's boy. And so today you can make a decision. You can go through your life and try to build a name for yourself and end up ultimately with a failure, with a tower that's torn down in a language that you can't speak. Or you can allow God to give you his name. And that is a name through Jesus Christ that will last forever. And so I hope as I look at you that I see you are God's boy and God's girl. And the resemblance is remarkable. Now, all of us, let us go out and trust God to do what he has said he will do. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so thankful for your graciousness to us. We are thankful that you love us. We are thankful that you care about us that you have provided for us a way of salvation so that we don't have to build a tower on our own. That you have indeed come down and become a part of us. And as we start this new year, I ask, Lord, that you will bless us, that you will remind us of this story, and that you will remind us that our job is not to build our way up to you, But our job is to accept you coming down to us. And we pray this in the name, the name of that one who did indeed come down to us, Jesus Christ. Amen.